podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, I'm as I'm wont to do, I walk the dog around the neighborhood. I live in a neighborhood in Nashville that's um I think it was started in the nineteen tens or twenties. It's set up on a grid. It's not like the American subdivision. The houses are a little close together. Streets and avenues and numbers, you know, Americana, if you will. A little sure. neighborhood inside of a city, and that city is Nashville. The reason I bring this up to you, Bill, is one of my favorite things is to see all the different college football stuff that, that people put in their yard year-round, but especially in the fall, right? So I have everything that you would expect. We have some Vanderbilt, some Tennessee, Auburn, Ole Miss, Alabama. You know, I think we have four houses with LSU. Um, one house was like this old bungalow where they painted the door purple for LSU. I think that's great. We have Penn State. I have a neighbor with Michigan State stuff. Flies a big Michigan State flag. I have a really cool – there's a, some new neighbors about 10 blocks down that have – dueling TCU and Texas Tech flags. One time there was this old colonial house in my neighborhood that had an Oklahoma State flag and a USC flag. And I actually, when the people were working in their yard one day, I stopped to ask how one achieves that combination. And it was just that they met in grad school. Then I have a new neighbor, Bill, with two. Two. I'm walking the dog the other day, and I don't catch one, but I catch two flags for one Purdue University. Do you feel like you're being What are the stalked? chances that this person listens to our show? And how should I approach this person? Now, I'm I'm fiercely antisocial when I'm not at work. But this has just this has drawn me in. It, it it's just so enticing. I'm a moth. I can't I Be can't careful. Look away. I think somebody's baiting you into visiting them and and bad things might happen when you do. So you I thought about this careful. too, which is why I'm telling the story in the podcast so that the police have somewhere to start. Like the worst episode of Law and Order ever. Um, two flags for Purdue. I don't even want to talk about Purdue on today's show. I just wanted to make sure that somewhere out there, I feel like I need to go and knock on this person's door and say, "Hey, I have an audio podcast for you," even though we're not going to talk about Purdue. No, hell no. No, absolutely. There's too much stuff going on, I, and and I see all your Purdue jokes, but we're we're too busy. There's too many. There's good football. Um, Actually, I'm run to here's, the... here's one thing about Purdue, so that we can get out okay. of the way. All right, um, fine, fine. Appease them. <laughs> Damn right. Um, so they, I have to congratulate Purdue for throwing the most catchable interceptions in the country this past weekend. Um, the Cincinnati game went down as pretty woeful uh, turnovers luck against Purdue because basically Cincinnati didn't break up any passes. They only intercepted five of them. Uh, and that's not supposed to happen. But, you know, Only. anything's possible with Purdue. So uh, congrats on that. I mean, at least, you know, it's something you can hang your hat on. So there you go. There's your Purdue, there's your Purdue talk for uh, PAPN September 14th. That job is going to be open. Uh, all right, everybody. Welcome to Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. We are a college football marriage of numbers and words. Um, my co-host is a robot, Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's Football Study Hall, and he is the author of the forthcoming book, which is his second, 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time. Uh, and then my name is Stephen Godfrey, and um, I have a lot of Hampton endpoints. Um, so our show is basically brought to you by our new GoFundMe campaign for Democracy Prep. That's a elementary and middle school in Baton Rouge that was basically wiped out by the recent flooding. Uh, we would like you, if you like our show, to go to our GoFundMe page. You can visit Podcast and Play Nobody on SB Nation to find the link. We're also tweeted out a lot, as we should be doing all season. And drop us a couple bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, fifteen bucks. Um, 
I said earlier in the season when we launched our campaign that if you like our show, we were worth $5. And most of you have given well beyond that, so I'm very proud. Giving's tapered off a little bit, therefore I get louder. So please, if you haven't, if you have already, I'm sorry, just scrub ahead real fast on your podcast file, uh, or or bother a loved one, get money from them, extort money, panhandle. I'm fine with all those things, um, but we we need to keep going. Obviously, we're going to keep going all season. The goal is to raise ten grand specifically to help democracy prep, not only get people back in the classrooms and school uniforms and books and stuff, but we're also sort of launching uh, our own athletic program which is awesome. This is something I've always wanted to do. Uh, maybe one day we'll turn this charity into a way to uh, profit off of uh, young people not getting paid for their athletic ability. That's the college football way. So what you got, Godfrey? What you, what, what's up in the, uh, in the Godfrey universe aside from Purdue flags? I went to Clemson on Monday for a video that's going to go up either the week, so it's, I guess, not this coming week. They play Georgia Tech next week uh, on a Thursday night, and then they yep. also have Louisville. Uh, depending on the schedule of SB Nation Studios, we did a feature on Mike Williams, who broke his damn neck last year and has come back to, um, I mean, he's probably, I don't think he's Watson's favorite weapon numerically, but he is probably the most talented. He is a, a fierce individual. So we did a story on that. Um, not a ton to talk about with Clemson right now, except they're, they are. They may be getting a little too much scrutiny early for their performance relative to last year. They may be just be a little slow out of the blocks. Um, hard to tell right now. Very hard right. to tell. Are you subtweeting me for writing a what's wrong with Clemson story earlier this week? No, more just people in general trying to find that. It's, it's very popular to try and find that one school that's, that everyone is convinced is going to implode and turns out to be fine. We do it, we do it once or twice a year. And we usually, I mean, obviously, we do it before about October 15th. Um, the LSU should be your runaway favorite, right? So I've got multiple transitions here because I want to talk about Louisville, Florida State. I want to talk about the SEC West. Your number, you're not happy with your numbers on a projection about how the SEC West division race is going to, to shake out because there, I guess there's some inaccurate representation of what LSU is, at least numerically. Potentially inaccurate. Okay. Put it that way. Obviously, we'll talk about Alabama and Ole Miss, and then we'll talk about Florida State, Louisville. Um, it, before we get into the big dogs, is there anything under – I'm sorry for saying big dogs, by the way. I just had a flashback of a T-shirt line in the 1990s. Is there anything underneath these four or five big week three matchups that you're interested in this week? Because I'll be honest. It's very anti our culture, our people, our PAP and people. I've only really focused on those games. I haven't, I haven't branched out. And, and, and sadly, Bill, I'm going to Cincinnati on Thursday. I'm going to go see that game, Houston-Cincinnati. Uh, but I haven't focused on anything outside of, like, Alabama Ole Miss, uh, Michigan State, Notre Dame. have no feel for that whatsoever. Um, is there anything underneath all that? Well, first of all, those big dog shirts from the 90s, when I was playing high school tennis in Western Oklahoma, no. there was a kid who um, – was very, very good and was about five foot three and wore the same. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog shirt every single weekend uh, as he kicked the ass of kids who were eight to ten inches taller than him. So um, shout out to that kid uh, who always got slaughtered at state but did well in, re- in the regional area. And um, that's, that's, that's my non-big dog talk. Okay, so actually, we're, instead of going with the SEC, I, since I have this pulled up, we're going to talk about it first. Okay. So this is a really cool year for anniversaries. 
Uh, I get to, you know, this was my off-season project was writing a book about the, you know, history of college football, so to speak, in, in 400 pages or less, uh, 450 pages or less. And um, so it was, it was pretty cool walking through things. And, and, and I noticed that it's a very good year for anniversaries this year. Uh, number one, it's the 100th anniversary of Georgia Tech-Cumberland, the 222 to nothing game. And number two, it's the 50th anniversary of Notre Dame-Michigan State, the famous Michigan State game, uh, the 10-10 tie. Uh, Notre Dame fans remember it because, uh, well, it helped them win the national title. Michigan State fans remember it because it kind of screwed them out of the national title a little bit. Alabama fans remember it because it really screwed them out of the national title because they were undefeated, but Notre Dame, with the tie, stayed uh, in the top spot. Uh, They've written, uh, Of course, there have been Alabama books written about it. Uh, this is one of the, I just wanted to bring it up because it is one of the most, you know, history is basically like a game of telephone. And one of the things I really enjoyed doing when I was writing the book was going back to the source. Newspapers.com is, is the most amazing resource ever at this point. Uh, it is because it is so deep and rich and I was able to like for every team that I wrote about, I was able to go back and kind of relive the present tense, uh, because, that's, I think, the best way to capture things instead of just like giving the game of telephone version from, you know, that we've developed over time. Like instead of this one line about this uh, program in the 1930s, going back and reading about them week to week and kind of experiencing that is phenomenal. So pulled up a paper, the UPI report from November 20th, 1966. East Lansing, Michigan, UPI, Notre Dame's number one rated football team overcame a 10-point lead uh, seized by the number two rated Michigan State Spartans Saturday, and the two giants of college football battled to a 10-10 tie in their quote-unquote game of the year. The Irish had two chances to win in the final seven minutes when Tom Schoen twice intercepted passes thrown by Michigan State's slim quarterback, Jimmy Ray. Uh, But their last effort broke down when Joe Azaro's field goal from the 31-yard line barely missed the the goalpost to the right. Um, So the game of telephone tells you Eric Parsegian is a wuss who played for the tie and it screwed Alabama. Uh, And I think this is one of the most amazing, uh, you know, the the reality versus narrative has, has shifted dramatically. So the way this game ended, and you can actually watch it all on YouTube. I did it a while back. Um, yes, indeed. Notre Dame had two chances to, uh, in the end to win the game. They, they lost their starting quarterback early in the game. Uh, so they were very, very much in kind of a slog offense kind of state. Uh, they did fall behind 10, nothing. They scored a touchdown, uh, on a 34 yard pass of all things in the, uh, second quarter. So it was 10, seven at halftime, 10, seven deep into the fourth quarter, uh, with a, I, I'm trying to remember a couple minutes left, I think minute or two left. They kick a field goal, like a, uh, about a 30-yard field goal to tie the game. So Parsegian was a wuss because he didn't go for it with a backup quarterback against Bubba Smith in the Michigan State defense, and he, he settled for the tie. Only they then picked off Michigan State and had another chance to win at the buzzer, so the strategy actually worked. They just missed the field goal. Um, he did not play for the tie. He played, A, for reality because they weren't going to convert the fourth down, and then, B, they almost won anyway. So um, I re- I'm realizing now that I'm defending Notre Dame, which is kind of um, not I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep going. That's uh, not something I kind of I, I like to do too often. But in this case, uh, history has not been very fair to uh, Era Parsegian when it comes to this game. Part of that has to do with with uh, Dan, with uh, 
Dan Jenkins of all people, because in the Sports Illustrated uh, recap, which is basically the written history of the 1960s, if you go to the SI vault and read his pieces from each week, uh, he said that uh, Parsegian chose to tie one for the Gipper. And um, that's what stuck, not not what actually played out, but that line stuck. Uh, there was a really cool piece in the in the um, Chicago Tribune yesterday by Teddy Greenstein, um, where he he talked to both Parsegian, who's 93, and uh, Jenkins, who's somewhere in his mid 80s, 86. Uh, Jenkins, first of all, said, yeah, basically said, yeah, I kind of feel bad for that. I probably shouldn't have said that, but it was a great line and I liked writing it. Um, and meanwhile, Parsegian is still pissed. So, uh, that's fun. I I like it when there are 50 year old grudges that are never going to be solved. That's why we get into college sports. The end. What do you, so Michigan State and Notre Dame are playing this weekend. The end. No, what do you think, if anything, could last 50 more years that's happened in the last two or three like that? Um, it takes la- a lot because we consume so much more and we're more diffuse as a, as yeah. a culture. Oh, yeah, that's definitely – it's it's a lot harder now because there's not like one tidbit per season anymore. There, you know, there's not, there aren't like 10 nationally televised games per year. Um, so, yeah, it is a little trickier. Off the top of my head – um, LSU fans will still be talking about Les Miles not subbing out Jordan Jefferson in the 2011 BCS championship game. Um, Kick six is probably the one. I was about to say, 2013 Auburn is going to, that's, I mean, that's why I, I put them in my book because they are, that's, that was always going to be a lasting, um, a lasting thing. Kick um, six has, because it's a single play, will probably last the longest. I mean, even it, it's there isn't a single Jim Harbaugh thing unless it unless it's tied to a game that's yet to transpire. That's right, and it could. He's still you, a young you, coach. You need a play more than anything else or an outcome to tie it to. And um, Florida State and SEC fans will still say Chip Kelly ran a gimmick offense. Yeah, those regional grudges really last. Um, that's an interesting one to visit because in twenty years from now, what is gimmick? Will it have been a gimmick? Will it still be in, a, in effect? That oh, it's may... ha- I mean, it's it's been absorbed. Uh, Alabama spends part of its time running a, a kind of spreadish, hurry-up offense. It's been absorbed. It's right, the, but there's the battle's still, over. There's still a healthy cognitive dissonance between those two. I mean, Alabama's still going to tell you that they're playing. You know, that right. it's going to be some dumb, reductive phrase like "ah, oh, it's still big boy football." Um, even though they're grafting on elements of, of offenses that they would have never touched a couple of years ago. Yeah, I actually, this kind of ties to something I've been, I, so I got a book. I actually said yes to one of those PR, um, book releases this time. I, I never do because I don't read actual physical books and I couldn't, I can never get an iPad. It's Was the this the mummy book? Yeah, it's the How Mummy book. I got that Just one. In got the my day. copy yesterday. Yeah. And, um, it's really, I, I mean, I, I plowed through a couple chapters of it last night. Like it's, that's. Hey, I mean, I, I know that story. You know, that's uh, what I, I what I'm really most interested in, though, is is the the way that innovation comes about. Because in a few years, we're going to be doing another innovation. Because uh, college football has absorbed the air raid and the the whatever we want to call the Chip Kelly type of offense. Uh, teams move fast, and and more importantly, defenses now are recruited to play against. Uh, the hurry up offenses and the the teams that get the five star athletes are are both running that kind of offense to a to a degree and and are very much more used to defending it. So um, when that happens, then it, it becomes kind of part of the college football lexicon, and then all the underdogs have to figure out a new way to try to win. 
And so that's going, that's, that's like on the horizon, I guess you could say. Uh, and I'm really curious now as to, to what happens there. It's pretty easy to just basically go the opposite. Like, oh, okay, so everybody's using a nickelback. Well, we're going to use an extra tight end. Everybody's, you know, the, the quarterbacks are, are more tra- well-trained to pass, and therefore the defenses are all uh, dressed to counter that. Well, good, we're going to run a lot. You know, it's easy to kind of go that route. And if everybody's hurrying up, we better slow down. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's Stanford is the answer. Um, which is a pretty boring answer. By the way, we should plug that book since we both got sent copies of it. So uh, what happens is when you work in the media, uh, usually book publishers, if something's in your area of coverage or wheelhouse or whatever, book publishers will usually assault you with crap that you don't want solicitations. But I think this is Simon & Schuster. It was one of the larger prints. They'll occasionally contact myself and Bill and our colleagues and say, hey, we've got this book coming out. Are you interested in, in getting a copy? Um, and this was when I jumped on probably for, I don't know if I've gotten an advanced book in a while, maybe, maybe yeah, a year. This is, this is at least two years since I've gotten one of it's these. It's called, but... uh, it's called the perfect pass, uh, American genius and the reinvention of football. It's by SC Gwynn and it is out September 20th and it's going to be, I mean, you, you can get it anywhere. I think it's already got a Kindle setup deal on Amazon if you read stuff that way. So um, I have not. Cra- I mean, I, I. It was sitting on the doorstep of my house when I went to go pick up my mail last night, so I haven't even started it yet. But looks pretty good. I mean, just from the, I like the concept of it. Also, like right. how mummy being the focus of a book. I mean, that's right. Mummy instead kinda, of Leech. kind of sold me there. Mummy instead of Leech. Leech would have been kind of repetitive at this point because he has his own book already. Uh, it, it, so it goes a little further back than just the Mike Leach experience, which, I mean, a lot of people have read Swing Your Sword. So it, there will be repetition. And again, we kind of know the story by now. Uh, these two kooks meeting each other and, and uh, trying to figure out a new way to, to move the ball when they don't have any sort of talent advantage, yada, 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 Iowa, Wesleyan, Valdosta State. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it does. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to read it. It has like play. It has plays in it, you know, like drawn up diagrammed plays and whatnot, and and it looks like a pretty cool read. So um, going through that right now, and and uh, but no, I mean, I'd like to talk to Hal Mummy at some point just about what comes next, like see what his opinion is on that, um, and and see if it's as simple as teams getting bigger and running more or something. I I'll take a quick coda. I just because we I did this in the predictions thing a couple of weeks ago, and we're seeing we're seeing like a, maybe a small tick towards pro set coming back, which really just means like tight ends and huddles and under center. It doesn't really actually mean pro set because that doesn't mean anything. But I know we don't do NFL on the show. It's just that I live in Nashville, and there's a really stupid coach of a really bad NFL team here who has decided he's going to take someone who was as naturally gifted and fit for one style of football as you could get in Marcus Mariota. And so Mike Malarkey and the Titans are running Exotic Smash Mouth, which is a fantastically stupid title that's also not working. So some people are trying to force this equation. Now, everything is much more homogenous at the league level, but people have been asking this question for a while and getting very serious about moving on from the spread. I don't know if we're going to see it. I think what I think my prediction was that we were going to do what was it? What was the dumb name I came up for my new offense? Oh, I don't know if we're going to see it. Now. I'll have to pull it up real fast. I think it was was it Speed Smash? Speed Smash, yeah, yeah, probably not going to happen. 
Well, see, but here's the thing. What, what it means is the label is getting taken away because it's being absorbed. At the college football level, it's like, yeah, it, just about everybody runs some version of the zone read now, you know. Um, it's, it's like that Manny Diaz line from, that, from when I talked to him last year about, uh, I don't remember the percentages he said, but like 90% of college football runs 50% of the same offense or something like that. Um, that the quote unquote college football offense now includes a lot of those spread principles and, and to a degree, so does the NFL, the NFL, NFL defenses began to scheme and, uh, train to account for the, the hurry up and all that. So it has been absorbed in that way, but that's, I mean, that's, that's how this life cycle works. I really liked that Chris Brown piece, by the way. Um, our friend Chris, uh, B Brown, formerly of. Grantland, currently of the Ringer, um, he he wrote a big long piece about Chip Kelly and how in a, a NFL def, NFL coaches adapted to his style and B he hasn't really adapted to the adaptations. Um, so the you know the innovators curse I believe you call it, which um, we'll see if he can we, we'll see if he can be Netflix instead of the uh, the cursed innovator. Where Netflix you know innovated twice, but we'll see. No Huddle Pro said is the next spread option. We'll earn a stupid nickname like Speed Smash or something stupid. Um, yeah, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. See, we'll, we'll see how much success Brad Kaya and Miami have this year. It's possible. It's very possible. Bill, we're going to transition right into the big one, Alabama Ole Miss, because if ever there was a team that has adapted, especially on offense, from the – from when their head coach arrived until now, it would be the uh, the Alabama football unit in Tuscaloosa at the public university. Um, <laughs> I'm not entirely surprised. I'm surprised that people are so surprised. I think most of that has worn off. Um, it's really just... <sighs> Maybe we're all getting more educated, Bill. Maybe we're all becoming a little bit more accepting as a group because Zone Read did have such a stigma four years ago spread option had such a stigma there was this far off exotic place called oregon where where schools were where schools were losing recruits to to oregon and they were doing really funny things with like people who should be running track um because everything is because all of that has moved so far to the center now um no one is really talking about the alabama offense of 2016 the way they would have had this offense been the alabama offense of 20 13, maybe even 14. Um, obviously, Lane's Kif- Lane Kiffin's hands are on this to some degree. Um, I'm interested now to see how this applies when they go against teams with, I don't want to say comparable talent, but quality talent, because I don't think as anybody... Bud, as possible, yeah. Bud would, Bud would come on here and probably nitpick that, because Alabama's recruiting is just that much... You know, it's it's just that much better, honestly. I was going to try and come up with something more clever. but um, So they're playing Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a team that's used to these concepts. They employ some of these concepts. Um, it's not like USC was completely ignorant of these concepts and it didn't matter. So we may be looking at the red herring of all this, and it's really just going to come down to good old-fashioned talent on talent. But it will be interesting to see Alabama – running ideas and concepts that they were formerly allergic to against quality teams that run similar concepts. Or they could just honestly come out and and smash it as much as they want. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, the problem is that Alabama can't really run the ball yet. 
Um, it's very strange. This Western Kentucky thing. Did we hit on this during the uh, no, during the review? I hadn't, I hadn't watched the game yet. I watched it on Sunday. And, it's a uh, stat line that's like buried underneath a bunch of crap because everyone laughs at Nick Saban's quotes. And then like a day later, you're like, God, that guy's such an idiot. And you start reading you start reading the story, and you start looking at the box score, and then you realize like, oh, they they have a fundamental issue on offense right now. Right, and you know, it, it, yeah, obviously, you know, Nick Saban talking about like he's so uh, so upset about this win, blah blah blah. They won by twenty eight points. They won by twenty eight because their defense is untouchable at this point. It really is. I mean, they've they've adapted to when he when Saban said, "Is this what we want college football to be?" A few years ago, he was really just asking for confirmation so he could you know kill it too. And I mean, success rate by quarter. Western Kentucky was nine percent in the first quarter, thirteen percent in the third. Um, Basically, these last couple of years, the defenses have been have been so good for Alabama, like 2011 good, that it's allowed them to kind of take their time figuring things out on offense. Last, I mean, you think about that Michigan State game last year and, and the USC game in week one this year. Like halfway through the second quarter, that game was either scoreless or close, uh, close to being scoreless. And they just kind of they, they were able to figure things out. Uh, and then it was one of those like, you know, karate thing like, oh, oh I figured out your weak spot and they poke a finger and, and you go down um, against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is has Ole Miss has a lot of crazy guy in the fight tendencies where they really they don't give a crap. And they're going to bite they, you in the, on the cheek. Right. They're going to they're going to throw haymakers. They're going to go deep. They're going to throw the ball a lot. They're, they've got the perfect quarterback for what they want to do. Um, and they're just they're going to have fun, and Al, and and they're going to try to actually make football fun, which is something that Alabama, which is something that Nick Saban doesn't really understand and never will. Um, but you know, not only that, but Ole Miss does have you know they don't have the same amount of talent, but they're they're among the schools that have at least a comparable, semi comparable amount of talent, and um, yeah, I, I just think. Like they have just enough crazy in them that Alabama hasn't really been able to to account for that these last couple of years. So yeah, but I mean, I, so you, you think about Alabama, their offenses or their defenses adapted. Ole Miss really doesn't run the ball, even less than maybe they normally used to run the ball. And so you you assume that even without Ole Miss's deep receiving core, it's gotten a little thinner because of injuries, but it's still pretty deep. Uh, you assume that Alabama will handle that okay. But Alabama still has to score, and Alabama can't run the ball. Against Western Kentucky the other day, Damian Harris, 11 carries, 45 yards. Bo Scarborough, 5 carries, 19 yards. They, to get any sort of success at all, they had to go to B.J. Emmons, who had 6 for 41. And that was basically the same story as the game before. Damian Harris had either, I can't remember, one or two long carries against USC. Uh, but otherwise, uh, was, was had a pretty mediocre day. Bo Scarborough had 11 carries for 36 yards against the USC. Scarborough hasn't done anything this year. Uh, and Ole Miss, the one thing they do have, they've got a bang, they've got a secondary that's not exactly in full strength, but they've got a front seven or front six, I guess. So, um, I'm if they can't control the ball on the ground, then they might have to punt. They might have to do. They might stall out just enough times to where Nick Saban starts to get antsy about his quarterback situation again, and to where Chad Kelly can you know accidentally bonk a couple passes off guys' helmets for touchdowns. So. Um, really curious about this game. Alabama's a better team, but Alabama's been the better team each of the last two years, too, Twice. overall. And uh, Ole Miss doesn't care, and they they go to try to win the game. And I love this matchup because of that. I love that bonk, man. I love people talking about it. That added yeah, and it wasn't bonk. a helmet. It, I, you know, just to, you know, to cut off the well-actually crowd. 
Um, it's it's just funny to me. Like you're not wrong. Obviously, there are some freak occurrences in both games, but I remember that you know people want to nitpick the the game in 2014, and I mean there was any number of situations. Everyone wants to talk about a you know a particular set of penalties. I think that's what I saw on AL.com this week. But you know. Ole Miss fumbled in it to open the second half, but it was on a clear face mask that wasn't called because it was a yeah. waste of the line judge. Like <laughs> the Alabama fans, the fun part about this, and you can check me on all my modern bias or not. It's just that any team in the country that's beaten Alabama twice, it's it's it, it unnerves that fan base. So it's, it is just fun to watch them to rationalize that because I think it's it, they take it as an insult when they know that they're the more you know, that they are the more talented team. They're the better coach team, too. No doubt about it. So I think it's what makes it all the more maddening. And, um, I mean, it, you don't even have to beat them twice. You, you just have to beat their defense twice. Like Auburn, tw- the, the 2014 Alabama-Auburn game might as well have been a Bama loss for how much people freaked out about it because Auburn still scored like 40 points or whatever it was. So, um, no, it, it really is. This is – Alabama fans are nervous this week. They know they have the better team. Uh, but they they also know they lost to this same not the same team but a relatively similar team twice in a row and that the components of that uh, Ole Miss team are still kind of there so uh, excited about that one excited about uh, you know I'm excited about that one I'm excited about Ohio State Oklahoma I'm excited about Florida State Louisville okay yeah um, where do we want to go next because I feel like how in the world is Oklahoma Ohio State being overshadowed that's is it. It's just so fun to talk about Lamar Jackson right now that maybe yeah. that's why. And then yeah. in tandem with Alabama playing the team that's beat them twice. But, okay, Ohio State and Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, I saw Oklahoma. Yep. Didn't look great. Also had, some issues, run- also had I, some issues running the ball. Right, that's what I was about to say. In no way, shape, or form do I feel like they should be written off. Um, I think if, if there was an Oklahoma-ing definition, Oklahoma-ing Okaying, soonering. Oh, you. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Um, it would be that you sustain a loss and then magically find yourself back in a national title race. Um, all that being said, am I am I wrong to expect Ohio State to win here by ten, fourteen points? I, I know, just, I, so I, I I've been. I'll have a preview for this game coming up tomorrow, and I kind of put the pieces together of it um, yesterday, and. Um, I think it's going to be like, I, no, Ohio State, there's a chance Ohio State is, you know, crazy, no pressure 2014 Ohio State again. Um, because they had such, you know, because expectations were kind of lowered because of the freshman, because of the youth on the, on the roster, um, they have come out very relaxed and uh, their defense has been fantastic. So, um, no, I mean, there's a chance that this is a team that uh, just goes in and handles a slightly insecure OU team with, with ease that we would never have expected two or three weeks ago. But at the same time, um, this is why I can't give good predictions about anything because I will go all the way to, to both extremes, basically. But sure. uh, okay. Oklahoma stopped, has so far against Houston especially, uh, well, and ULM, but ULM doesn't really count. OU has stopped the run, has, has pretty much stuffed the run. I think Houston might have had a couple big plays, but just down for down, they, they did not find anything. Houston uh, was able to generate enough offense to win because they were really good on passing downs. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe maybe JT Barrett will be too, and may, so maybe it isn't a problem. But I could see OU's run defense really, really kind of limiting Mike Weber and Curtis Samuel and JT Barrett 
and um, you know, kind of rendering them inefficient to the to a degree where JT Barrett has to make passes on third and eight, and Barrett. Barrett is the funniest quarterback in that. Like most of the time, he in his career he's been awesome, but once or twice a year, um, he kind of freezes up in those situations and makes a bunch of mistakes. And then the Ohio State play calling gets really conservative and kind of clammy handed a little bit. And um, I could see that Ohio State happening too. Basically, with Ohio State this year, I assume they're going to be a fantastic team for about ten of twelve game twelve games, and twice they're going to lay eggs, and it might cost them. Uh, that's, I mean, that's that's how a really super high upside, super young team tends to work, and so I could see that kind of playing out here too. But I mean, those are two drastically different scenarios, and I think they're both realistic. So I don't know, I, I can't really lean on one. This is why in, when we did our confidence poll thing for the week, I gave this one like a two. Uh, Louisville and Florida State, we're okay with this bill because we're old, but uh, that's an 11 a.m. Central kickoff for the for the showcase game of the day if you believe game day is always the showcase um i can understand the gripes if you're a louisville fan you don't get these opportunities as often as someone at ohio state or lsu or you know the sec gets um it's probably one of the reasons why game day went to camp or went to louisville is because they've hit an sec team twice in the first two weeks yeah and yeah tie goes to the team you haven't been to in a while yes and i don't know if they've i think they've been to louisville before yeah i think so um it makes sense. It's an interesting, compelling game, certainly with two awesome quarterbacks to watch. But also, I would like to point this out. Papa John Stadium, not on campus at Louisville. So it's three weeks in a row where game day has actually – they have yet to go to a college campus in 2016. <laughs> Although this is, this is a step up because it's not some orchestrated neutral site game, which is where they were for the first two weeks. So um, uh, is there anything other than super awesome quarterback, yay – bullet points that we should hit or can we just talk about cool awesome quarterbacks well <laughs> that's kind of the big one right now no i um i i will say like a i love it anytime a good game isn't on uh at 7 p.m at 7 p.m central that is uh i i like having a full uh, recipe of of good games throughout the day but uh 11 o'clock is weird for game day because among other things if you want to see the you know lee corso donning the you know, the mascot uh, head or whatever, uh, you're going to miss the opening kickoff. So that's that's going to be kind of weird, or they're going to have to push it back a little bit. I mean, they like to basically shoot it straight to opening kickoff after they leave game day, and that makes it very awkward all the way around. So we'll see how they handle that. Uh, but no, uh, awesome quarterback is why uh, game day is at this game, and uh, he has been uh, pretty damn awesome. I like this is probably going to end up being the most viewable game of the day. Now, Bama will miss two years in a row. Wacky, right? Acrimony. Got it. Angry Saban potential. Solid. But for the football parts, I'm going to give this game the, the advantage. Oklahoma-Ohio State actually has the potential to be compelling and yet also so boring from an access point of casual viewership. So I think I'm going to give this the viewable crown of the day, which is which 11 a.m. has been kind of good these first two weeks, right? Yeah, you had Houston, and, Oklahoma. Yeah, last, week, last week it was – yeah, that's right, Houston-Oklahoma the first week. Uh, I mean, la- yeah, I mean, last week it was more just the, the grab bag of uh, these games kind of suck. Oh, my God, they're all dramatic and awesome at the same time. Um, this one should be exciting. I, I, you know, this is, I, I, I think we're all very intrigued by Lamar Jackson right now because 
we we've reached that point where we don't actually know what his ceiling is. And that's always really exciting. I think that's, you know, not to reference the damn book again, but that was always the appeal to Michael Vick was there was always this feeling of what can't he do? Like what, what I, I think he can run faster than that. I think he can actually juke more people out than that. I think he can throw further than that. And um, I mean, Lamar Jackson, when they come out last weekend and they score their first three drives or four of their first five drives of the game, one play, 72 yards, touchdown, three plays, 75 touchdown, one play, 72 touchdown. And then after a punt, two plays, 68 touchdown. And then he hurdles a guy like full Olympic style hurdle later in the first half. Um, That's that's how you get everybody's attention. And now we want to see what he does against not well. I mean, a good defense still, obviously very good defensive front, but a, a, a defense that really might not have that great a secondary at the moment. So, um, is it worth talking about the, the the quality of the defenses that he's seen? Is it is it like well, I yeah, I mean, I'm not I, trying to wet blanket anything, but it, well, we I think it goes without saying. I mean, it, we we all understand Charlotte, uh, very much Charlotte, and to, maybe to a slightly lesser degree Syracuse had nothing to offer to stop him, and Florida State will. They'll have a plan. They'll have the athletes to execute that plan. So yeah, I mean, I think of course. Of course, the, the the athletes or the the defenses haven't been enough to stop him yet. But now we're but we're to the point now where we don't know what will. We need to see it, and and you know maybe we see it on Saturday, and you know he throws four interceptions, fumbles twice, and that's the end of his uh, his Heisman campaign. But we we don't know yet, and that, that's really that's always very fun. This could be a game that is consequenceless in terms of the national title picture in a couple of months, but again, could still really be fun to watch. And well, I, and we, I mean, we don't know that either. We, it, it could be very consequence full, uh, at the end. Too. Consequential even. <laughs> I was going off of less there. I was trying to, you know, anyway. Um, Hey, guess what? Oregon and Nebraska are playing. That would have been a big deal a couple of years ago. Oh, God, that's right. I'd completely forgotten about that game. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Pitt, who just beat Penn State and looks yeah. super fun, is going to an Oklahoma State team in psychological shambles. Hey, we hadn't talked about that either. <laughs> I can keep going. It's a loaded week three. Um, Miami, Appalachian State. Oh, yeah. Also, early kickoff. Gee, I wonder if anything terrible. In fact, actually, I'm going to interrupt myself. Who has the 11 a.m. SEC Network game? Oh, it's Tennessee. Oh, okay. Nothing will go wrong there against Ohio. Nothing at all. That'll be fine. <laughs> I didn't know better. I think you were maybe trying to jinx something there. Josh Dobbs, no. You know what, Dobbs? You've been consistent. You didn't throw for less than 100 yards in the win against Virginia Tech. This should be fine. Ten- Tennessee hasn't fumbled six times in two games. That's the that game was, right that, there. That blew, that blew my mind, by the way. I didn't even realize that at the time. Um when I was doing the numerical yesterday, there have been 12 fumbles in Tennessee games, six by Tennessee, six by the opponent, and Tennessee has recovered 10 of them. Yeah, that's going to hold all year. Sure. 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 <laughs> I like, I really like that this is becoming an identifiable trend that the 11 or the 12, whatever, the early SEC network game has just become like possessed. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Nickel State, you know, losing by two at Georgia. I like to think that, you know, when they killed off the three days in the Jefferson Pilot Standard Deaf broadcast, it like angered some sort of god or something like that, and now it's just going to exact revenge on anyone who has a home game at 11 a.m. Same situation, too, I might add, as Georgia. Coming off a big neutral site game, yeah. sleepy home crowd. I'm telling you, now that we've identified this, of course, college football occasionally punish you for coming up with too fun of a trend. 
Tennessee may win by 28. I don't know. Or they might win by 28, but they may just have to do it all within the last six minutes of the game, which yeah, that if that style, happens, yeah. I think that, that holds our theory true. Yeah, like um, I said on Sunday, like I, it's, it's funny talking about how Tennessee's amazingly lucky right now while also pointing out that they have actually started to push the buttons they didn't push enough last year, going deep against Appalachian State, running Dobbs more against Virginia Tech. Those are the things they should have been doing from the start, but they seem to have they they, they seem to be honing in on what they need to do. Uh, they're just woefully uh, inconsistent at doing it, but they're two and zero. So if at any point the lights the the switch gets flipped, they could really start to roll. And I I I, I the mixed signals that I've gotten watching these Tennessee games has really has been kind of dizzying in that they, they continue to get lucky and actually figure things out, too. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Bill. What's that? About, about 5.30 in the afternoon, as I think Alabama probably finishes skull-dragging Ole Miss, I'm going to make a sandwich. I'm going to retire to a secluded place, maybe light some candles, get ready for an anxiety doubleheader, and that's Texas A&M at Auburn. And Mississippi State and LSU. Somebody gonna get fired. Somebody gonna get fired real soon. Now, people have asked me. I've said on the show. I don't think the anxiety bowl can count as as wonky as LSU is. I don't think you can count this as the anxiety bowl because Mississippi State. Look, they pasted a South Carolina team. They're clearly better than just by virtue of the fact they've been more consistent, had the same head coach, and recruited to the same system. Oh, like they're in a down year. They're in a down year. But consistency won that game. Not consistency of play, uh, consistency of program. I'm still of the mind that, well, I mean, A, I think Dan Mullen screwed up the first game because he took out Nick Fitzgerald after two series. And, well, he did what everybody else does. He massively overthought the quarterback position. Um, as long as Fitzgerald is healthy, and he won't be all year, as long as when he's running 20 times a game, I still think that Mississippi State team's pretty decent. I don't think this is that much of a down year. Unless Fitzgerald gets hurt, I, I can't. I, I I really liked what I saw from Fitzgerald last year. I like what I saw from him on Saturday, um, and I think Mullen just overthought and freaked out and put in the backup. Then the backup did well for a series. Like, well, I guess uh, I'll play him for a while and lost the script completely. Um, I think they might be okay. So um, I, I, I'm I'm tapping. But that the doesn't there. look. That doesn't take away from the fact they're playing LSU. Oh, I mean, everything is anxiety bowl with LSU right now. There's no question about that. And then you also you still have a look. I know A and M beat UCLA, and all is well in the kingdom. But it's not. It's not. Somebody leaves that game in serious, serious trouble. Yeah, I'm really. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I'm I'm less sure of that than I was a couple of weeks ago. How so? But well, I mean, I, I do. If if A and M being that it's it's in Auburn, right? I'm not making that up. It is on your planes. Yeah, so I think if they lose a competitive game there, like a really tight game, and Auburn looks pretty decent in the process, not like Auburn fumbles 18 times and just look bumbles all around, but A and M hands it to them. I think they could escape two and one, and and with someone not in particular amount of trouble. Uh, so you think not, the wizardry of a Kevin Steele defense could be could be the difference? <laughs> In shutting down a Texas A&M, or not shutting down, but just edging a Texas A&M team. I'm building narrative here for you. Sure, yeah. Who then has to go to oh, well, ne- neutral side. Ar- now, here's why it's anxiety. Neutral side Arkansas 
at South Carolina. That's a that's a W. And then Tennessee before you get into Alabama, Ole Miss, et cetera. So what I think made it anxiety for me was the fact that whoever loses this game, it really all the headlines are based on them maybe being fired soon. I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, I mean, obviously, A and M has a ton of tight. Both teams have a ton of tight games going and could end up having their guys in trouble. It's just what when we were talking about this in the off season. Um, it was really kind of like whoever loses is on the hot seat immediately, and you know, be careful. UCLA screwed it up. Okay, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's, UCLA that's part screwed of it. my whole gimmick up. I understand that, but and I and I'm still kind of I, I haven't decided on the Auburn defense yet either. They might be okay uh, on defense. I'm not. I. I, I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sell me on Kevin Steele. No, that's that's the thing. That's why I'm not sure yet. Like I look at, you know, I, I watched the Clemson game. Of course, then I watched Clemson play Troy. <laughs> uh, so that opponent adjustment didn't work out very well. But um, no, I'm just I'll, I'm saying I'm not. I ha- I was completely mocking the Kevin Steele hire. Now I'm waiting. I'm, I'm I've got the hammer, the mocking hammer in my hand. I'm holding back for now. Uh, and in like two weeks, I'll start swinging it again. Arkansas is really fun to watch. Can't wait to see how Arkansas complicates matters for all these schools that we're talking about. And I'm not just saying that because everyone's riding high on that TCU win. Arkansas has always been fun to watch. Yeah, they're no, they are inconsistent. Uh, they're not. They 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 never really became the stereotype we assumed that they would be based on Bielema's Wisconsin. But I'd argue that there's something funnerer. Yeah, no, they they pass. Um, but they're still big and meaty. Yes. And, um, and they are chaos agents. They, they, every game they play goes to freaking overtime now. Look so. at this bouquet of evening games, Bill. We are so spoiled right now. Okay, yeah, first off, I'm, I'm going to start at the end and say Hawaii, Arizona, something's going to explode. Something crazy, all right? Homemade, that's a pipe bomb of a game for reasons I won't even touch, Grambling, okay? But then you have this lovely, lovely evening-ending bouquet of Pac-12. USC Stanford, UCLA at BYU, and Texas going to Cal. Um, Texas going to Cal probably won't be as fun as we thought it would have been because Texas seems to be confident. Um, California's defense is not. But, but California's uh, offense is. Yeah, that's true, but if I mean, 18-wheeler... They... If 18-wheeler is at the level of consistency it was against Notre Dame late in that game, then they should be okay. Uh, I'm not not as intrigued as I was. What's really intriguing to me now is USC going to Palo Alto, and then what is this UCLA? What do we have here? What fun and overhyped way are you going to finish 8-4? and Yeah, no, we're going to learn a lot here. Um, Hey, we're going to learn how Texas travels. Uh, because I do, I mean, Cal's going to score points, so they're going to have to yeah. keep scoring. They're not going to be able to, to to necessarily buy a lot of time. Cal completely blew that San Diego State game the other day. I didn't, you know, they had 10 scoring opportunities to like San Diego State six and somehow lost. Um, but so that's going to, we're going to, we're going to learn about Texas a little bit. And yeah, I mean, we're going to learn about both BYU and UCLA because BYU might be pretty good too. The cool uh, thing about Texas going to California is that, if Swoops plays 30 snaps, the game might be less than four hours. <laughs> that's right. So uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, seriously. Um, that's hey, is on. Troy Southern Miss worth watching, or are we just getting a little too weird? Uh, well, with all, everything else on, it's probably not. One thing I am going to sort of keep an eye on, though, is Utah-San Jose State. That's going to be a, a decent – because San Jose State's not wretched. All right, sell me on that. So, the, well, the, sell, the sales point is, you know, it's, it's in San Jose, it's, so it's going to be a weird environment late at night. Well, I guess not late at night there, but um, 
Utah's just coming off a big emotional win. This will, I assume, Utah wins, but they're only a 13-point favorite, meaning they're a couple weird bounces away from realizing, holy crap, we're in a game here and we didn't expect this. So um, if they go out and handle their business, that says very good things about about Utah, especially with USC being... um, What's the right word? Unstable, I guess, so far this year. And UCLA, not. I mean, they, UCLA might end up being just fine, but we don't know quite yet. So, yeah, Utah's probably the other team in that division that has a chance at the title, and, and they'll have a, if they can handle their business in a weird environment, that's a good sign. Um, we, of course, are interested in Southern Miss because we're always interested in Southern Miss, but that, I don't think that one quite matches up with the other ones here. All right, another curveball. Okay. It's really hard to do viewability because we're so front-loaded this week. Louisiana Tech, Texas Tech. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're planning on hopping on the treadmill for about four hours, go ahead and DVR this game because it should be pretty good treadmill watching on, like, Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Um, (laughs) Patrick Mahomes already over 1,000 yards passing for the year. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about who did Louisiana Tech play last week? Um, uh, how much? I, sh- I, I might be shaping too much out of a week one near upset here on Louisiana Tech's quality. Yeah, SC State had them kind of tight for, for the first half, and then they pulled away. So uh, I mean, they pa- they passed the test. So, like they they really could be. I would assume Tech uh, Texas Tech wins, but um, I mean Texas Tech's defense. I was just saying, Cal's always going to score. So is Texas Tech's opponent. So. Um, so, you, you know, your boy's got his work cut out for him there. Okay, so here's what we'll do. We'll couch this, and we'll say, if it ends up being, yeah, I think, I think David Gibbs and, and I think the entire staff, this, if this ends up being a thing, we'll say we made it a thing, and if not, we'll just we'll let this kind oh, of yeah, slide exactly. off into the evening. How's that? We'll completely forget this one if it actually turns out to be an easy Texas Tech win. It is kind of, I, I am curious if what Kingsbury does, if this, if the, you know, the Gibbs and his new staff, if it's absolutely no better this year, does he fall into one of those Mark Stoops style, like, like Mark Stoops in reverse things are like, well, uh, this de- defensive staff didn't work. Bring in a new one. Okay. That one didn't work. Bring in a new one. And, um, with no continuity whatsoever and no addressing the fact that maybe the offense, uh, is playing a role here. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, like, does he fall under this trap of just cycling through coach after coach after coach, having no consistency and never getting any better? Or does he decide to go ahead and stick with Gibbs and these guys in the hopes that some semblance of continuity eventually pays off? I'm going to send a text text real fast to Kirby Smart. Did you know you have to play a true road game this week and they are good on defense? Uh, If you listen to Missouri fans, they're terrible on defense now, but... Well, Georgia didn't look – they didn't really change the world running the ball against Nichols, so now they go to Columbia. Um, hey, come on, Mizzou fan. Give me a sell here. Well, I mean, the sell is uh, Missouri completed about 38 deep balls last week, and uh, Georgia's secondary hasn't really been tested deep yet this year because uh, on passing downs against North Carolina, Trubisky was just throwing five-yard pass after five-yard pass. Um, so – if some of those deep shots land and suddenly you're looking like you have to throw the ball a little bit, then, you know, in a Saturday night crowd, I don't think it's that hard to sell. I assume Georgia wins, but that's not that hard a game to sell. I don't think what's funny though, is um, this week, you know, just fan propensity for being miserable. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like we, we, we have an opportunity to enjoy ourselves, but we really just want to be angry about something. Um, Missouri, yes. Missouri scored 60 points and threw for 400, whatever yards last week. And everybody's pissed that the pass rush isn't very good right now. Um, like Missouri has one sack in two weeks and I'm, I'm not going to pretend it's not a concern. You but, might be, uh, yeah, you, you, you but, might be nitpicking there. Well, right. And, and basically, and also Eastern Michigan scored two garbage time touchdowns to make it 21 points. It was like, it was whatever it was, 33 to seven, I think at halftime. Um, it was like the defense was fine. It wasn't, it, this isn't as, um, what's a good word, as invasive a defense as we're used to seeing. It's not a pin your ears back at all times with your front four. Um, and they're, they're thinking a little too much. They're not quite, not everything's clicked yet. I think there were more changes than we expected in terms of coaching style and whatnot. But um, they, the, West Virginia's offense was basically on a play-for-play play basis average. And Eastern Michigan's, you know, they weren't a threat. And yet we're pissed off because we only have one sack. And I just, I, this is, I can't we glance. I, I watch sports to enjoy myself and, and just the misery, the going, the, the, the fan propensity for going out of your way to be mad about something. Just, I, I hate it. We glanced over USC Stanford. I talked about it in the bouquet of the Pac-12. I hate that that game's this week. It's going to just get drowned. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think we just did the same thing. Yeah. Um, I'm, this is a Stanford. This, this may be, um, as much of a, Foothold is we'll get on Stanford for a while, so yeah. for that alone, I want to watch it. Um, yeah, I mean, I assume Stanford handles issues around USC, but I'm, I'm looking at Stanford's schedule real quick. Well, I guess that's actually not true. This is the beginning of the Stanford test. I thought they had another scrub, um, but they've got USC at home at UCLA and then at, and then at Washington. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, so we'll have Stanford maybe the first of the of the national title contenders to where on October first we're gonna have a really confident good feeling about them one way or the other. And then USC, I'm I'm kind of curious about. I, you. I, I honestly don't. Yeah, well, I mean, they like you know the dude loses his mind last week and gets ejected against Utah State. They they kind of they bumble around for a minute against Utah State, but then they actually go out and handle their business pretty easily. Um, like they're clearly a little bit on the unstable side, but I think there might be decent upside there. So um, I, I'm curious. Like Stanford's obviously just going to punch, try to just jab them to death, and yeah. it might work. But um, I, you know, it's not it's not a guarantee that it will work. So I, that's another game that I'll just have to freaking DVR like all the others. After this Stanford game, okay, at Utah, Arizona State, Colorado at Arizona. Okay, eh, Utah win aside over BYU. That's really if you're if you pull an upset here, that's manageable. Yeah, that's manageable. That that allows USC to float for a minute. So it's just man, it's not sexy this week, but normally it's a great game. Yeah, yeah. No, I. I you know what we're doing here as we go through this segment, Bill. I'm talking myself way way out of Ohio State and Oklahoma in terms of a viewing experience. Yeah, you you kind of yeah. I'm not completely sure why, but because there's because but, well, I mean, there, for, for, for one, SEC West Anxiety Bowl, which we covered, and I'm actually I I think the shape or lack thereof of the Pac-12 is more intriguing. I like maybe I maybe I'm just not sold on Oklahoma, and I'm trying not to be that guy, but I'm just not sold on Oklahoma. I don't know. No, I mean, it kind of makes sense if you're not. They do have something to prove. I just, I, I do see, like I said, I do see 
the option on the table of them shutting down Ohio State's run game and JT Barrett having one of his bad passing games. It's very uh, possible, yes. Aggressive environment. So I, I could, de- you know, it's definitely on the table. But I mean, like I said, that's I, I could see two complete polar opposite experiences there, and that makes it for a good. That makes it a good viewing experience, no matter what hater Stephen Godfrey has to say about it. Oh God. I'm, actually, I'm okay with that. I, I won't even feign outrage. That's fine. I can be. Uh, am I hating what just Oklahoma or the game or both? Uh, the Ohio game. State too. We'll okay. say the game. Right. Although you know, maybe yeah, Ohio whatever. State. Whatever works. <laughs> uh, it, this actually stems. It's a good question, and I don't think it's been brought up here before. Um, I'm learning how to get my sea legs on viewership. Yeah. Because I this year am making a point to try and be home on Saturdays. I'm going to hit this Cincinnati Houston business for some Big Twelve news and some uh, profile I'm working on. But I'm not. I, I had an option to go to Louisville, Florida State, an option to go to Ole Miss, Alabama. I'm going to go to Nashville, Tennessee, and just try and watch all these games. What What is your 6 to midnight hour going to look like? I don't know how to do this. Someone asked me last week, someone in the industry, I can't, I can't remember who, I'm not just trying to be anonymous, how does Bill do this? Because I was talking about how I'm learning how to do this. Like what? You can't absorb more than like two games. I know it's fun to set up the six screens, but you're not really watching anything. No, I only have one screen. Well, first of all, my six to ten is going to look like me being at Pro Field. But um, really, I'm that's I have season tickets. I'm not going to not go. I know, I know. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> but so I mean, basically, I'm going to overload the DVR, and, and my wife's not going to have the option of watching anything on HD Saturday night because I'm wow. Watch the channels. That's fine. She's just going to watch Arrow on. Uh, on, okay. on Netflix anyway, but um, I forgot no, about. You know, I'm sorry, I forgot about the Georgia game. What I do typically, I, and I'm different in this regard. Like I, the multi-screen thing is pretty fun, but I basically I'm DVRing all the games I know I'm going to need to watch in full, and then I, I I have the most fun just kind of going with the tide on 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 TweetDeck and kind of watching. Like, uh, okay, this one's getting kind of interesting and flip over to Ohio State, Oklahoma for a while. Then when it goes on to commercial break, flip back over. I'm also, I also miss stuff because I forget. Uh, But again, I'm DVRing the ones I absolutely need to see. So usually, so sometimes that drags me to the games I'm not DVRing, just in case. Um, What does your morning look like before you go tailgate? Uh, that's going to be overloaded too this week for once. Uh, It definitely wasn't last week, but you know, I'm probably going to be paying the most attention to uh, Louisville, Florida state because that game really does fascinate me. But um, I mean, you're going to have to, you are going to have to keep uh, uh, at least you're going to have to look over at Ohio, Tennessee occasionally just to make sure (laughs) because that, that one could get funky temple Penn state. Speaking of anxiety bowl, that one could be uh, kind of funky. Yeah, I, we we talked so much about Penn State on the Sunday recap because they lost. Um, I know I said it last week, but I mean it this time. <laughs> this is like some must win action. Like, yeah, seriously, James, you better. And, I, and I assume he will. But you know, if if a coach gets to to his certain level of anxiety, then the team it kind of bleeds over into the team too. Uh, so that could be kind of interesting. Another another one. That I actually I'm not as interested in this one as I was, but maybe that's a good thing. North Dakota State, Iowa. Um, mm. I, I think Iowa has got is in a place where they handle that game, but you don't know for sure. Uh, you might want to keep an eye on that one just in case. And then Miami, Appalachian State. Basically, we have enough quantity here that one of these games is going to be funky in the mid fourth quarter. Can we start a petition to ESPN to keep quality at eleven? 
We'll come up with a better <laughs> hashtag than that. And maybe for dad reasons. Maybe, like, we're never, obviously, prime time, and I remember the year it happened, kind of a year span of, of it happening, where once ESPN gained, this was before the SEC network, but when they gained close to total control of all the SEC slate, more stuff, I just remember being like fresh out of college, where it's like, hey, what, what's Georgia doing, what's Florida doing, what's, what's Alabama, oh, okay, it's 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock kickoffs. Yeah. Did not used to be that way. Now, CBS oh. always had an unrivaled window, but I'm fine with that. I get it. I totally understand. Viewers, trust me, I sit in those stupid meetings with those people all the time. But give me one. Like Penn State Pitt last, last week was a good game, but even going into it, I was fine saying regardless if it ended up being a 20-point differential for most of the game or some huge blowout or after that, that that's enough quality product to put at 11 a.m. Yeah, so and- just give me one of those a week. And I mean, yeah, have a few like those Oklahoma State CMU types. That was that was a keep an eye on it just in case the kind of situation. Yeah. Give, me, give me three or four of those games, and one of them is going to be crazy in the fourth quarter. So that's that's all. And yeah, you're right. Like I, for a long time, it was kind of like you know you get home from your game and then you turn it on. You, know, you get home, you turn the TV on seven. Like what game's on right now? Oh, nothing's really on tonight. Yeah, we have. I have yet to. Have I have yet anymore. to. We. Uh, I know we're only entering week three, but I've yet to have that moment of like, right, I'll clean something while Northwestern Indiana's on. Right, we that definitely do doesn't that. happen at night anymore because we no. because they've scheduled it so so that it doesn't happen. The problem is sometimes they overschedule and they excuse in the other direction where you don't have an excuse to not run errands at eleven o'clock. So, um, but all that said, we are past an hour. It's time to look box at score time. time. Just sent you this, and actually, we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different here too. We're gonna uh, pull up my box score since I created my own box score uh, this past couple of weeks, and we okay. are. Did main- you send me the link for that? Yeah, I will send you one right now. Um, I we are maintaining this throughout the season, so you can get cool, detailed stuff at, at football study hall. Uh, let's see, they are just screenshot uh, image files because I don't have that much time, but. Uh, you get both. So anyway, all right. So we're going to start with this. We're gonna, we're doing Clemson Troy. We decided that on the fly. Okay. Um, because this game is worthy of kind of worrying about Clemson a little bit. So you think so? For for now, I mean, because the two games in a row they have had definitive offensive line problems. Okay, and we're going to put Bill's special box score. Um, for Clemson Troy up on the on the podcast and play nobody entry. So the same place that at the top of the show where I was right. talking about uh, the democracy prep uh, GoFundMe account, you can if you want to stop here, if you are at work or whatever, just pull up the site. That way you can you can kind of read along because we're not going to read all this information out. Um, it, it's a really interesting and handy reference guide for for this segment. Yes. So Bill, why is Clemson in trouble? Well, we've got we've got a, a red team and an orange team. It's time for you to walk through the box score first, and then we will go from there. Okay. Now, am I looking at what you – are we looking at the traditional box score, or do you want me to start with your we're box score? We're going to the traditional one, and then we're going we're gonna to figure out what's missing and then see if, what, if okay, so it addresses it. We'll do, a, we'll do a pretty quick summary for those of you who don't uh, remember. Uh, Clemson eked it out against Troy. Uh, the final score was 30-24. to 24. Uh, Let's see. Pertinent stats. Um, Clemson had 24 first downs. Troy had 21. Uh, Clemson had 122 yards rushing. Troy had 141. 
uh, Clemson was 292, to, 292 total yards passing, 27 of 53 with two picks. Troy was 245 yards passing, 26 of 45 with three picks. Um, total offense, Clemson at a 414. Eh, not great uh, for Clemson. Uh, Troy at 386. And let's see if I can – oh, yards per play. Uh, yards, total offensive plays. Wait, is there, there's no, oh, yeah, sorry, gain per play. Uh, both teams had 4.9 yards per play. That's interesting. Um, uh, possession doesn't really mean anything. Troy won, 33-26. Uh, Troy, 2 of 15 on third down. Clemson, 8 of 20. Troy, 2 of 3 on fourth down. Clemson, 0 of 1. Um, let's see if there's anything else I want to throw out there before we start talking about this. Um. Seven kick seven kickoff returns for for Clemson. Seven for wait, how's that possible? Seven kickoffs for Clemson. So, I'm sorry, seven kickoffs for Clemson. Four hundred twenty three yards. Three for Troy. One hundred fifty six yards. Um, the the net is where I like. So they share all that kickoff data. The net is the thing I look at. So um, no, Clemson. sorry, net yards per kickoff. Uh, Forty four point seven for Troy. Forty point six for Clemson. Uh, yards per kickoff, 60 for Clemson, 52 for Troy. Um, if I saw this game in the traditional box score sense, I hate it now that I have to do this because I'm not good at it. Um, hmm. Turnovers jump out at me right away, and third down conversion. Third down conversion would tell me – now, I'm cheating here because I watched part of this game. Third down conversion, if you're 2 of 15 on third down, and you and both teams had – I mean, both teams struggled dramatically on third down. This leads me to – to think of broken plays, scoring on special teams or scoring on turnovers. Um, I think I would generalize and say both teams were, I wouldn't say, if this was a, if this was like an ACC game, I would say, man, both teams are kind of sloppy here. But because of the, I know that Team A and Team B have a differential of quality, it looks like Clemson played down. They didn't take care of the football. Um... Let's see here if there's anything I'm going to regret when I look at your box score. Um, so, special teams was definitely an issue here. Yeah, and I mean, basically, if you ignore, if you if this was Team A and Team B and you had no idea, yeah, you would look at this and you would say, okay, they're basically even per play. Uh, maybe, you know, they both had three turnovers, so this was a sloppy game. They, they both faced a ton of third downs. 15 and 20 is quite a few for uh, third down conversions to, a, uh, to start with. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I didn't and, think of that. And the Orange team went eight for 20. Uh, and even if you count the fourth down conversions um, uh, for the red team, you still end up with only four of 15. So really that was maybe one of the differentiating points of the game was just that the, the Orange team – uh, was able to convert a few more uh, third downs, even while stinking on the ground, even while throwing two picks and completing 50% of the passes. So that would be my and, – and field position ended up basically even two, I believe. Yeah, 35 to 32 in Clemson's favor. So All right. Let's look at your advanced box. Yeah. Let me find – first off, there's a good amount of information here. Damn straight there is. So – and again, we'll, Troy we'll had a five percent success rate on passing downs. Troy had a five percent, and Clemson only had twenty five percent. And you know, things are color coded for good and bad, basically. Um, both offenses picked it up in the fourth quarter, but both offenses mostly stunk before that. And uh, Clemson had a couple big passing downs plays. Troy had nothing on passing downs. That was the maybe the biggest difference in the game was that Clemson was only bad on passing downs, and, and Troy was horrible. 
But Clemson was bad on passing downs. Clemson had a ton of passing downs because Wayne Gallman carried nine times for 34 yards. Tyshawn Dye had six carries for 19 yards. Uh, there's no efficiency right now in the in the Clemson run game for this game or uh, the opening game against Auburn. And um, you know, and, and Deshaun Watson is is obviously mobile enough, but he's he got sacked uh, once. He got picked off twice. On passing downs, he was 7 for 22 for 114. And again, the only reason they won was that Troy was worse. Um, I, this, this is two straight games where the line has been a problem. Clemson fans were also complaining about the rotation this week, which was kind of interesting because um, Watson leaned on Mike Williams a ton in the first game. But this game, like, Gallman only had nine carries and Tashanda had six. Ray Ray McLeod and Artavis Scott had ten targets. Williams only had six. It was it was the, the rotations, they were complaining that nobody was able to establish a rhythm. And maybe that's true, uh, but I think it was mostly because the line stunk. And it stunk twice, and that's officially... Uh, I am, as a Missouri fan, I am an expert on stinky lines, and that is a concern until otherwise noted now. The rushing yards. By the way, are, by it, the way it, yeah, Missouri's line doesn't stink this year, maybe. But anyway, Clemson. Rushing yardage is alarming. Yeah. Maybe that's where I start to agree with you, that there may, maybe something is systemic. And this is not good. They're 2-0. and And, you know, like I said about Tennessee, as long as you keep winning, you have more opportunities to figure it out. Maybe the line will kind of click at some point. Maybe if the rotations really were a problem, maybe they become not a problem. But, um, but yeah, when you have yards of carry isn't terrible, but then, and five yards of carry isn't terrible either, but walk us through how, why that's terrible as you go through the different stats. Well, I mean, first against Troy, you know, any sort of positive yardage came from Deshaun Watson. Um, he he had nine carries for 63 yards outside of sacks. And, um, so he was able to still kind of scramble around. I think, I can't remember. I watched a good portion of this game. He kind of had that third down, get to the chains kind of thing a couple times, uh, and that made and again third downs were kind of what won them this game, but uh, yeah, it's really like the rushing yardage because of sacks and like the raw rushing yardage you see on box scores because of sacks and because of quarterback scrambling, it's it, you don't necessarily get uh, the right picture of of whether they're doing well or poorly. But yeah, if you look at only re- running back yards, Clemson stinks running the ball right now. Like the uh, they are, they're ninety second in rushing success rate right now, and. Um, and again, like Auburn, maybe Auburn's front defensive front is decent. Maybe you can write that one off. You can't write Troy off. Um, they were just bad against Troy. And what so, is LY carry again? Line yards per carry. Um, okay, explain line yards real fast because that one always trips me up, and I know people have asked me about that one before. By so, the way, when you have issues with Bill's stuff, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I like not having to field every question, but. Um, so basically, this is an old football outsiders thing that Aaron Schatz and everybody did on the pro side. They basically studied a lot of film and and, and kind of figured out a way to generalize how much of a given, how much rushing was because of the line and how much was because of the running back. Mm-hmm. Basically, what the the, and the again broad generalization it was that the first five yards go to the line, half of the next five yards go to the line, and after that, it's all running backs. So the way, you know, using that, I break it into basically line yards and highlight yards. So um, highlight yards per opportunity, which I share there, is basically once, you, once the line has done, it, done its job, how, how much are you gaining? Because that all goes to the, um, to the back. And then line yards are basically right up to that point. So, so you look at what I shared there. Troy obviously couldn't run the ball. They had a big, they had a big long uh, rushing touchdown early in the game, and that was it. 
Um, they so they really weren't getting anywhere. I have no concerns with the Clemson defense. Kind of it kind of got glitchy there at the end, um, but I you know this I, I have no problems right now with the Clemson defense. But yeah, I mean, you, opportunity rate of thirty nine percent. That means you only you only gain five yards or more thirty nine percent of the time. That's not going to cut it against Troy. It's just not, especially when the running backs were getting thirty were at thirty three percent. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm all, you know, I, I definitely, if I'm a Clemson fan, I'm like, guys, it's two games. Let's, let's chill out. But um, they are not, that, but the fact that it was the same problem two weeks in a row kind of scares me a little bit. They've got, a, they've got SC State this week. Georgia Tech isn't great defensively, so maybe they're able to kind of figure things out here over the next few weeks. But, uh, but as of now, they've got some things to figure out. Um, I'm sorry, this is terrible audio, but I'm sitting here just you know, a wash, and, and this is, okay, all right, I'm not going to say I'm converted yet, and they they play someone terrible this week, and I should know that because I was just on their campus, but that's one of the reasons we got to go and shoot a video all day was that they're playing someone terrible this week, <laughs> South Carolina State, okay, so we're not going to know yet, they have a game at, at, uh, at Georgia Tech that they have not won in Atlanta in a long time, it's true, I think it's like 2003 or something. Still not a long time. They'll handle that one, but still. Okay, so Georgia Tech, eh, and then Louisville. Louisville. Might be interesting to revisit us ourselves in about two weeks when we know what Louisville is, we know what Clemson is. Um, This is why I really enjoy, you know, talking about that Stanford schedule where you're going to have, you're going to have data you can kind of hang your hat on, and it'll it'll be early October. It's what I really enjoy. It's very tough in the business, and I understand all the reasons why. Where the meat and the and the heart of, I, th- I assume what you draw good analytics from all comes in the second half of the season, and we're left with so much conjecture up front. Yeah, and it's funny too because um, I always get a, you know, I try to ring just ring out whatever meaning. We, well, not me, but we all do. Uh, out of these first few weeks, and and it's really just about kind of educated guesses and and. And it will inevitably always get, especially in the comments section, about, you know, well, the stats are dumb until halfway through the season. Why are we even talking about this? Or it's only been two weeks. Why are we even talking about this? Okay, well, we'll just shut the website down until mid-October then. (laughs) Um, Because you sit in the comment section and scream at us. That's why we do it. It's how we're paying mortgages, folks. But, yeah, I mean, this is obviously this. a lot of what we say, a lot of what we think we know is wrong right now. And it will be – we'll find out what is wrong. But in the meantime, we're still going to talk because it's fun. We wait, we wait nine months for the damn football season to start. We're not going to shut up for half of it. We're going to start enjoying ourselves now. So, you know, we're going totally to talk. This is – by the way, now we've recorded like 105 minutes of podcast this week, including Sunday. Um and I admit right now, we don't know very much, and we're still going to No, and I, that's why, I mean, honestly, I'll come hat in hand. Bill's the, you know, Bill's the analyst here, and he's the statistician, and I try and identify the more, you know, not that Bill doesn't work on the human side of things, all robot jokes aside, but I, I'm, I'm identifying almost entirely non-football trends and storylines at this point. I don't feel good unless I'm embedded with coaches and, and I can put it around the framework of what a single team thinks. I don't ever feel good doing a, a football-centric story this early in the season because this sport is so particularly wonky and backloaded. But that's okay. There's still a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, this week, wow. This week's going to be really good, Bill. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. In I fact, agree. I'm really excited. And I feel now that we've gone through this podcast, I feel 
I would say validated by my choice not to go. And I know some of you, some of you are going to think I'm crazy, but not to go to either one of those games and just to sit and absorb all this. I, hey, look, I, not a lot of people watch stuff like the Pac-12. You know, after seven, eight, nine p.m. on the East Coast, I get that. But I've watched even little, even less, because I'm usually covering a game or coming home or whatever. So I'm just excited to absorb all this and hopefully, God, I don't know. Do you, Bill? Can I ask you a question in confidence right now? Yeah, let me, let, me hit, let me hit stop right now on the uh, on, on the recorder. Now go ahead. <laughs> Do you ever feel just completely ignorant about the sport that we cover? Is it just this time of year? Well, I mean, it's certainly this time of year. You just have to go into it accepting that you some of, there's meaning in some of this, but we're going to be wrong a lot, and that's uh, you know I accepted that a long time ago. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to learn this weekend, and then we'll have to we're going to be asked just for fun to do our you know our best four teams for the SB Nation selection committee segment. And gosh, I, I don't know, especially if Alabama does lose, then what? It's going to be even worse. <laughs> well, okay, this is why I'm not called on to make definitive statements, and this is why I rarely, if ever, make my living off of my my opinion. So, yeah, Alabama's going to lose this weekend, and certain people are going to write the Alabama Dynasty is Dead columns, uh, and then they're going to finish, they're going to finish 12 and 1, and they're going to go to the playoff. Um, like, <laughs> I'm making fun of people overreacting and while well, kind of justifying doing the same, but, um, you know, I'm a hypocrite, so. All right. We've got things to do. I've got things to do. I've got stories to write about stuff I don't know about. Um, as always, we thank you for your time. You can follow Mr. Bill Connolly on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C and myself on Twitter and Instagram at 38Godfrey. Uh, please be sure to subscribe, review, SoundClouds, iTunes. I think there's one called Stitcher, Android. I don't know anybody with an Android phone except Bill and, or except Bud, and he's weird. I was about to say. Don't um, sorry, sorry. Except Bud, he's weird. Um, uh, yeah, just uh, enthuse and rave about us wherever you get your fine podcast product from. And again, please check out our GoFundMe page for Democracy Prep. We've got a long way to go. We are trusting that the PAP and audience will sort of put us on their backs and carry us through as we continue to do fundraising ideas and stunts. And I think eventually we're going to get to Louisiana at some point this year. So, um, it's going to be a super awesome week three. We'll be back on Sunday night for if not the fastest 25 minutes in college football podcasting, certainly the most disorganized as we try and jam all these reactions into a silly amount of time. Uh, Bill, you want to do this again on Sunday? Yeah, and we might actually try to answer reader questions that we forgot to do today. They're fine. They're fine. I apologize. They're fine. I feel bad. bad. We're busy. They know that. It's a one-sided relationship. (laughs) Sometimes marriages take valleys. Us and the listeners, we're fine. Okay? 